Uh, Tonight's scripture is from Psalms. Lord, our Lord, your name is the most wonderful in all the earth. It brings you praise everywhere in heaven. From the mouths of children and babies come songs of praise to you. They sing of your power to silence, your enemies who are seeking revenge. I look at the heavens you made with your hands. I see the moon and the stars you created. And I wonder, why are people so important to you? Why do you even think about them? Why do you care so much about humans? Why do you even notice them? But you made them almost like gods and crowned them with glory and honor. You put them in charge of everything you made. You put everything under their control. People rule over the sheep and the cattle and the wild animals. They rule over the birds in the sky and the fish that swim the sea. Lord, our Lord, your name is the most wonderful name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. In light of all the sin I've seen, my sister's son say my soul can't be clean in spite of all the dirt i've done my brothers i have been saved by the sun and i'm redeemed testify oh i am redeemed testify by the blood of the Nazarene, I am redeemed. Testify. Oh, I am redeemed. Testify. By the blood of the Nazarene. So it's an interesting thing to be invited to speak about your spiritual practice when you're not sure you have one. Um, But I finally had a chance to listen to some of the other folks who've shared, and maybe it is, like Julie said, that the, the most important practices are the ones that we struggle to take up and have to grapple with. It's not the things that come easily. And the other thing I want to say before I get started is I am on the tail end of a sinus infection, so um, you get the very deep, passionate speaking voice that my seventh grade speech teacher always told us to aspire to. (laughs) My childhood church featured a 15-foot blonde pine cross illuminated from behind in blue neon. On the Sundays, when we arrived early to shovel the front walk and turn up the heat, I'd always innocently forget to flip the switch for the backlighting, hoping that we could avoid that garish glare that morning. It never worked. The beauty, I suppose, of a small country congregation is not in the questionable decor, but instead of the essential nature of every member of the community. We knew with a second's glance who was there and who wasn't on a given Sunday. Bruce and his wife, Gail, in the front right. Galen and Sue would sneak in the back 15 minutes after the scheduled start time. Their high school graduation gift to me was a changeable bit screwdriver and a little measuring tape that I still use 18 years later. 
And in the middle, Lorraine, Iris, Cyrene, Marion, all settled into their allotted spots. They arrived early to take turns portioning thimblefuls of wine and white grape juice. My three younger sisters and I regularly read the weekly lessons or prepared a song for special music. After we were confirmed and no longer attended classes of our own, Sarah and I taught the fourth and fifth graders, crafting freezer paper scrolls for the Old Testament memorization and mailing New Testament letters of lists to students. But what I don't have from those years are many memories of evangelizing or spiritual formation. The love language of Lutherans are acts of service and maybe quality time, not exclamations of affirmation or proselytism. For confirmation, the main requirement was showing up to class at least some of the time. We didn't have to memorize the small catechism or even any Bible verses, let alone believe anything specific. And that was what church meant to me up until age 18. After high school, I headed to St. Louis to study at a swanky neo-Gothic school, paid for solely with scholarships that totaled more per annum than my parents grossed with a year of full-time farming. I say parents, but really I mean my mother and stepfather. You might have met one or both of them back here at House of Mercy back when they lived in Minneapolis in 2017, waiting for a lung transplant at the U. And so maybe we need a little bit more backstory before Pine Grove Lutheran. C.S. Lewis, or it, it could have been him, I'm not sure, said that one of the devil's most powerful lies is that you are the only one. But I really was the only one I knew whose dad went to live at a different house and whose, was the only one whose mom went on to marry another person. I felt bereft by my fractured family, and although I wouldn't have used those words at the time, I wasn't able to really acknowledge or understand the uncertainty and aloneness I felt until years later when I read an essay on how divorce, divorce produces an ontological, identity-based dilemma for children who understand themselves as part of a family unit that suddenly ceases to be. And another author pointed out the absurdity of expecting children to maintain equal relationships with two parents who can't even tolerate each other. Which is not to say that divorce and remarriage are bad choices by any means, simply that it was a very hard thing to experience at age eight. And I had no real guideposts for how to, to navigate that transition. Later, as a teenager at Bible camp and finally encountering other daughters of divorce, I realized that, unlike them, it had never occurred to me to blame God for it. I held God no more liable than I did Abraham Lincoln. Both were real enough historical figures, but didn't really have anything to do with my day-to-day. -day. And so, St. Louis, suddenly surrounded by Harry Potter-style lecture halls and copious amounts of concrete, contrasting to 18 earlier years of open farmland. And I developed a morbid fascination with cities. Why, oh why, would people choose to live surrounded by so little nature? Didn't the encroaching skyline make them feel completely claustrophobic? 
I chose to study architecture partially because I love envisioning spatial relationships, but mostly because my seventh grade shop teacher had suggested I go to trade school to become an architectural model builder. And so I set out to prove that I could be a designer in my own right. And I loved the design process and the rigor it introduced to my experience, but by sophomore year, realized that architecture school was way too much about spaces and abstract ideas, and not hardly enough about people. And like the stark contrast in physical environments, the Christianity of college was different, too. My first friendships were largely a feature of dorm room geography. My sweetmates, or the three of us who weren't Muslim, could all only agree on the extroverted Wednesday night services offered by Campus Crusade for Christ, featuring repetitive worship songs and a weekly small group opportunity to get connected. I felt silent disapproval at those Bible studies when my weekly check-in included anything other than anything like an honest hardship I was going through. Apparently, the study was for proclaiming blessings and rock-solid beliefs only. But I liked my friends, and they seemed to like me, and it was easier for us to be together than to constantly set out on my own. I didn't have much time or energy for exploration either. Those of you who've been in a studio-based program know that, know that much of my time was spent building models uh, very poorly late into the evening and bantering with other budding designers. There, I found an openness, community, and a shared spirit that reminded me of home, even though I was miles from the farm. I graduated into a recession and absent any architecture jobs that I didn't really want anyway, I decided to repay my scholarship-based debt to society by joining AmeriCorps. I served for 11 months in a San Antonio middle school and then moved even further afield for two years in rural Southwest Oregon. Transient, tired, no longer accompanied by church-going roommates, I was as likely to spend a Sunday morning sleeping in and then slow cooking a food stamp feast for my fellow core members as I was to be slipping into the back pew of a church with, where no one else was seated alone. My day-to-day -day service was fulfilling and comforting in a way unfamiliar hymns and dress clothes never would be. It also didn't require anything more of me than my presence and honest effort. There's no pretending or silent shunning. And instead of traditional church services, I found community online in what might have been a golden age of blogging. I met women who wrote about the simplicity of Quaker spirituality, and another blog titled How to Talk Evangelical helped me translate my campus crusade experiences into a typography, not just an anomaly. And similarly off-put by pushed positivity, the author provided me with a metaphor of sunlight and moonlight styles of faith, contrasting what might be bright and shining or harsh and burning, the sure expressions of faith, to the glimmering, subtle, reflective, or maybe faint and sometimes absent faces of others. Moonlight, that sounds like me. I recognized I'm not the only one. It was also interesting to bond intellectually, intensely, but unilaterally with strangers over a screen, 
while simultaneously bonding with the fellow AmeriCorps members in our ongoing labor, but vastly different worldviews. Ready to delve back into the life of the mind and escape the ever-escalating institutional poverty in the community where I served. I had already applied to grad schools back across the Midwest by the time I met Matthew, another AmeriCorps member in Southern Oregon. At first, I appreciated having a hiking partner and someone to share a meal with. But as time went on, he proved to be a good listener, refreshingly patient with my floundering faith and nascent nature-based spirituality. He didn't share my beliefs necessarily, but he respected them, and we found shared values in civic and social service and embrace of the outdoors. He also was a really good kisser. And to expand on the celestial bodies as faith models, my dark moonlight experience has occasionally been graced by glittering comets, 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 and streaks of shooting stars that overwhelm and illuminate my spirit. During a dark point in my younger years, I had experienced an effervescent flood of transformational love and divine compassion. And when my relationship with Matthew matured to a point where I needed to share those parts of myself and ensure he could still maybe love me, he just said, oh, sounds like you had a spiritual experience. That makes sense. And so Matthew followed me to Illinois after his vista term ended and then worked odd jobs and made my morning coffee while I grappled with postmodern political theory and attempting to teach uninspired undergraduates. And then with the help of his veterans' preference points, he was hired by the Department of the Treasury here in St. Paul, and it was his turn to head off to a new land and a new livelihood while I stayed behind. It wasn't too long after I made my move to Minnesota that we attended our first service at House of Mercy. And despite the sweltering heat, I was drawn in by the beautiful stained glass at Hamlin and by the refreshingly ambiguous preaching. I did earn an A in that postmodern theory class, but it was particularly hard one. Lately, I have been exploring what I call to myself postmodern Christianity. I don't really talk about it to other people, present circumstances excluded, I guess. Blogs have been replaced by podcasts and my pondering, in particular, a production called The Bible for Normal People. Their speakers present faith as having a strong cultural basis. I call this experience God because that's what my friends, my community calls God. It's felt difficult to me, but also fairly accurate to say that's probably true in my case. But also there comes an acceptance that, that that understanding doesn't negate faith. It just makes me far less certain that anyone else's interpretation of the divine would be wrong. Not too many of us, of us are coming at this from Pine Grove Lutheran, after all. But I digress, and I usually do. Matthew and I went on to get married on a Sunday morning where my vows began before God and in the presence of family and friends, and he jumped straight to, I, Matthew Abs, take you, Nancy Smebach. I'd found a full-time job as a city planner, the perfect marriage of buildings, people, and public service, it turns out, and we were finally financially solvent, 
So we started to search for a house to meet VA lending standards and to weigh whether, if, and, and if so, how many children we would want to have. Later this month will mark three years since he died from cancer. I don't know if I blame God for that any more than I did during the divorce. But it is hard to hear this Easter season, the Christian call that death has been defeated, when many days it feels like I'm the defeatee instead. But, as a wise interim pastor of my youth once intoned, it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. It might be hard, but it's a season. The liturgical ebb and flow of longing in Advent, simplicity and stricture during Lent, and the beautiful growth and resurrection that is brought by eventual spring sustain me. And the history and community that faith has provided for me over the years remain. Many of you probably know more than I do how children can upend your understanding of the world. My daughter is far more faithful and fantastical than I am right now. She frequently encounters angel clouds, who more or less bring her the good tidings of great joy that angels tend to do. Um, angel clouds are when the sun is hidden behind a block of clouds and the light kind of streams through like a cliche clip art image of heaven. Um, and usually the news that they bring to Helena is something like she's going to get to play outside at preschool that day. Um, but a few weeks ago, she announced that the angel clouds had found us a new dad. So, what can you do in the face of that faithfulness but download a dating app and hope that those angel clouds are somehow in touch with the cloud? <laughs> I would like to close tonight with a very short selection from my favorite poet, Jack Gilbert, who... Incidentally, I first encountered at one of those campus crusade meetings. It's called Truth. The glare of the Greek sun on our stone house is not so white as the pale moonlight on it. <laughs>